Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast with Dr. William Choctaw, MD, JD. Our mission is to empower you with the knowledge and the tools you need to thrive in all aspects of your life. Join us now as we discuss everything from nutrition and exercise to money management and personal growth. Dr. Choctaw will provide insightful advice on how to improve your physical and financial health, as well as your emotional and mental well-being. Whether you're looking to boost your energy levels, unlock financial freedom, or cultivate a more positive mindset, we've got you covered. Get ready to become the best version of yourself. So let's get started. Here's Dr. William Choctaw, MD, JD. Good morning. Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast. I'm Dr. William Choctaw, and I will be your facilitator today. Today, we're going to talk about destroying myths about diabetes. Destroying myths about diabetes. I believe knowledge is power. I believe life is about service to others. I believe leaders can change the world. As we routinely do, we will, the, we will underlie the discussion today in the area of medicine and law. Well, let's take a look at our outline. And the purpose of the outline is to let you know what we're going to talk about. But more importantly, or as importantly, to let you know when we're just about done. I realize that you're all very, very busy people, and we're absolutely delighted to have you with us uh, on this particular podcast. But today we're going to talk about... Uh, diabetes, and particularly type 2 diabetes. Uh, we're going to talk about the relationship between diabetes and obesity. We'll further then discuss uh, the body mass index, which is used to evaluate obesity as it relates to diabetes. But we're going to specifically talk about individual myths about diabetes, um, diabetes remission, and then some of the medication that's new, relatively new, and used to treat patients with, with, with diabetes. Well, what is the definition of diabetes? And again, we're talking about diabetes type 2. Uh, type 2 is called adult-onset diabetes, uh, and basically it is defined as a chronic disease that occurs because the body is unable to use blood sugar, i.e. glucose, properly. Let me say that again. Diabetes is a chronic disease that occurs because the body is unable to use blood sugar, i.e. glucose, properly. The exact cause of this malfunction is unknown, but genetic and environmental factors play a major part. Risk factors associated with diabetes include obesity and high levels of cholesterol. Well, how does the mechanism of diabetes work in terms of creating difficulty for patients? Well, primarily the pancreas is an organ in the body uh, that sits right adjacent to the stomach in the mid part of the um, uh, lower abdo upper abdomen, and it basically digests or, or secretes um, insulin into the bloodstream whenever blood sugar is located in the bloodstream. And the purpose of this insulin is to take these molecules of glucose, i.e. sugar, 
and to modify them in a way that they could be used efficiently by the muscle. So you need the insulin for the blood sugar to be used efficiently by the muscle. And what happens is that if you are diabetic, uh, you do not have either sufficient insulin or your insulin, more importantly, is not as effective in providing its physiological purpose uh, in terms of helping blood sugar or glucose to go into the cells of muscles and other and other organs. Well, what are the causes of diabetes? And this is a huge issue that has changed over time. And one of the things to keep in mind is that healthcare is always growing. It is always changing. It is always advancing. Um, it used to be felt um, that diabetes was primarily almost exclusively caused, according to some, by obesity. Um, we now know that that's no longer true. Yes, uh, obesity is a contributing factor to some who have diabetes. But what we've learned is there, there are other contributing factors like stress, like an unhealthy diet, and most importantly, genes or your genetic makeup. What does that mean? That means what you have inherited from your parents and grandparents uh, or great-grandparents over the years can many times dictate whether you will or will not become diabetic. And this is independent of diet and exercise, independent of what you may or may not do. And it's important to keep that in mind. And we'll, we'll expand on this idea later as we go through this discussion. It's important to keep in mind that when we look at something like diabetes, which affects every single um, ethnic group in our country, uh, that there are differences in how it affects the different ethnic groups. So if one were to look at, uh, this is National um, uh, Institute of Health uh, Information, uh, if one were to look at uh, the effects or the prevalence, if you will, of diabetes in different ethnic groups. Let's, let's take five different ethnic groups of, of individuals in the United States of America. The group that has the lowest uh, incidence or prevalence of diabetes is white non-Hispanic, or Caucasians do not have the lowest incidence of diabetes, and that's usually around about 7 or 8%. The next highest above them is Asian Americans, uh, and their incidence is about uh, 9%. The next uh, group is Hispanic, and their incidence is approximately 12%. The next highest group is African Americans, and their incidence is about 13%. And the highest ethnic group in our country with diabetes is American Indian slash Alaska Native. So American Indians have the single highest percentage of diabetes as an ethnic group, and Caucasians or white, non-Hispanic have the lowest uh, percentage of diabetes in this country. And so what that says is basically all groups get it. But the reason why it's important to understand the prevalence and incidence in the different racial groups is that when we make sweeping uh, proclamations about diabetes in terms of cause and in terms of treatment, we have to understand that there is a difference 
in how it appears uh, in these different ethnic groups and also how it can best be treated in these individual ethnic groups. And most importantly, uh, it is not appropriate to take the largest ethnic group, which is the white non-Hispanic, and do studies that only include individuals in that ethnic group and then try to make broad statements about diabetes treatment, cause, and effect of those other four ethnic groups um, uh, in terms of what's best quality in their care. So what I'm saying is that you have to look at these groups individually uh, and you have to include all individuals in these particular groups in your study and your data to be able to predict accurately what's most effective in their management and treatment. One of the big areas of controversy that has been around for a long time is is diabetes inherited or is it caused by behavior, uh, particularly behavior in terms of overeating? And the reality is we know that a significant part of diabetes or a significant percentage of individuals who have diabetes have it purely from genetics, purely from their genes. We even know some of the genes that cause it. Uh, CAPN10 is one of the diseases, one of the genes uh, that's been confirmed uh, to cause type 2 diabetes. Uh, TCFL TCF7L2 is a protein coding gene that has the strongest link to type 2 diabetes across all racial groups. So my point is the genes or your genetic makeup is a major cause and many times the only cause of diabetes in some patients. And we'll expand about this a bit more. So this changes the paradigm, if you will, of a lot of individuals said, no, 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 don't, don't blame this on your genes. You just, you just need to have uh, better habits. You just need to have, you need to improve your behavior. Well, the reality is that some people do have it just because of their genes. It has nothing to do with their behavior. They have it because of their genes, and that's a scientific fact. And remember, healthcare grows in terms of knowledge and scope uh, and intelligence. And this is one of the things that we have learned over time, over the last 50 years, that we did not know 50 years ago. In, a, in, a, in accordance with that, um, uh, we physicians, um, 50 years ago, many physicians used to do everything. Um, I can remember um, the um, general practitioners who used to deliver babies, um, and some would do some surgeries. And then uh, time progressed, and then there were surgeons who did surgery, and general practitioners didn't do surgery. And then time progressed, and there were OBGYN specialists who, who delivered babies, um, the obstetricians, and the, and the general practitioners didn't deliver the babies. And so my point is that over time, as healthcare continues to mature and grow and become more intelligent and become more effective, um, specialists develop. And so is the case in terms of obesity and obesity that may be related to diabetes. Dr. Fatima Stanford is a, a Harvard graduate and now Harvard professor uh, in uh, a specialty called obesity medicine. Uh, which is a relatively new specialty, uh, most of us as physicians have treated patients who were obese. And usually we gave the familiar mantra, diet and exercise. Well, the reality is that doesn't work for everybody. 
Um, and that's just the honest truth. And so one of the things that's important is that we not um, uh, beat up on patients metaphorically in terms of um, telling them, well, you just uh, need to do better or um, in situations where it does not matter what they do, particularly if they have a genetic reason for having type 2 diabetes, but instead focus on the root cause for that individual patient and treat them so they can live long and thrive. One of the issues that has also come up along the same lines is the body mass index has been a index that's been around for years that we have used to determine who is overweight and who is underweight or who is obese, uh, who is not obese or morbidly obese. And the American Medical Association just recently uh, came out with a ruling and recently in terms of June of 2023, and in essence, what it, what it says is that the American Medical Association has adopted a policy that encourages clinicians to reduce their focus on body mass index and health assessments, stating that the measurement is based on racially exclusive data that has caused harm. What does that mean? That means that when this particular index was devised and developed, the individuals who were in the experimental group did not include racial minorities. Consequently, the outcome or the results or the recommendations um, may not be most beneficial to those racial minorities, even though it may benefit a separate racial majority. And so to say it another way, if you want to have something that benefits all 370 plus million people in the United States of America, you've got to make sure that every particular ethnic group within that 370 million is represented in your study so that you make sure that the needs and the individual uh, specificities of the uh, certain racial groups are represented so that your outcomes can be beneficial to them also. So in essence, the American Medical Association, which is the main uh, body that sets up rules and regulations for we physicians, um, recognizes the historical harm that the, the base uh, metabolic uh, body mass index has done and states that the metric has been used for racist exclusion. And again, uh, meaning that the data has been used in some instances to be more detrimental to certain individuals and certain ethnic groups uh, that has been contraindicated, uh, that, that has caused uh, challenges and prevented those individuals from achieving um, healthy, wealthy, and wise um, existence. And so we want to correct that is our, is our point. And this all boils down to the whole issues uh, is obesity and or diabetes um, caused by bad behavior, uh, or by other things. And the point we're making and the point I want to make uh, or summarize at this point is it's caused by a number of other things. And one of those other things is genetics. It's in your genes. Um, and when it's in your genes, it does not matter what you do uh, in terms of, of causing you to get it or not get it. Okay. And, and because many times those of us in healthcare 
have mainly emphasized the behavior part of it, saying things like, well, you just have to be tough enough. Well, you just have to be stronger. You got to try harder. When patients have been saying, doctor, I've been dieting and I have been exercising, but I'm still gaining weight. Uh, and instead of believing them and coming up with different alternatives to manage them, uh, we many times have sort of pushed those patients even more uh, uh, to no um, um, positive benefit. And so now we have learned better. Um, and as our parents used to teach us, when you learn better, then you need to do better. So we in healthcare need to do better because a lot of these patients are diabetic and or morbidly obese because of their genetic makeup, irrespective of their uh, behavior. One of the other points that's important to keep in mind is that our country is becoming more and more and more diverse, uh, meaning that uh, these various uh, ethnic groups are growing in numbers. Um, and the fastest growing uh, of the ethnic groups is probably the Hispanic ethnic group. Um, and so my point is that the, it's going to be more and more and more important that we include individuals in these various ethnic groups along with the um, quite ethnic majority to make sure that the data that we come up with to recommend treatment is truly representative and is beneficial to everybody instead of just certain segments of the population. One of the other things that's been extremely helpful is the pharmaceutical industry has come out with amazing medication or drugs that are now beneficial in treating diabetes more effectively and also in treating obesity more effectively. Um, and now with these medications, it allows these patients, instead of um, following a lot of the over-the-counter or the media-driven um, types of suggestions, for how to live healthy. Uh, now we have better science and we have a stronger scientific basis that allows us to be able to treat these patients more effectively um, and, and that can save their lives and cause them to have a healthier life. As a diabetic, uh, certainly you're aware of the important things uh, to have in your food pyramid. And certainly at the, the bottom of your pyramid um, uh, that you can eat a lot of certainly vegetables and fruits and dairy products, breads, uh, and the top of the pyramid uh, uh, is uh, meats. Uh, I'm sorry, at the top of the pyramid is sweets that you want to be careful and, and make sure that you don't eat a lot of sweets. But we're going to come back to the sweet part uh, a bit later. So it is important to have a very, very balanced diet if you're a diabetic, and it is important to watch what you eat. And one of the simple ways that I have found to do that, that, I, that, that works, is the more color in your diet, probably the healthier your diet is. And so if you have colors of green and orange and red and yellow um, uh, in the foods that you eat, those foods probably tend to be more healthy than the other types of foods. Uh, exercise, likewise, is just as important. And there, one is not better than the other, you want to do them both together. Um, you can do, uh, you can check your blood sugar if you're diabetic before you exercise and then check it after you exercise. But I encourage you to exercise. And again, do what works for you. Now, some patients run marathons. Some go out and run a couple miles a week. But let's say maybe you're not one of those folks, and that's okay. 
incorporate your exercise into your normal daily activity. Um, and one of the things that I've seen patients do is, uh, for instance, um, when you go to grocery shopping, instead of parking your car right next to the store, park your car at the other end of the parking lot. Uh, and then that way you get in more steps and you're exercising within your normal routine. When you're in the store, when you pick up the item that you want, um, take five or 10 minutes and walk all the way around the store area, maybe a couple of times. Again, you can pick up another four or 500 steps. This is exercise. So the content of the exercise or the location of the leg exercise is not, is not important. The important thing is that you do it. So make it easy on yourself, but just incorporate it into your normal routine. And then that way you're more likely as compared to going to a gym. There's nothing wrong with going to a gym, but that takes time and effort and money. Uh, but, but do those things that work for you and you'll find that that'll be much more efficient and allow you to do the things that you need to do. And of course, we are familiar with the complications of diabetes. And these complications can include things like stroke, or other cerebral vascular disease, um, eye damage, uh, poor eyesight. Diabetes is one of the leading causes of blindness uh, in this country. Uh, heart disease, uh, kidney disease, um, neuropathy, uh, nerve uh, pain, and foot uh, disease. When you are diabetic, uh, diabetic, there are four important stages of your diabetes. One, first stage is when you're first diagnosed. For a number of individuals, again, we're talking about adult onset diabetes. This may be in your 40s or 50s or 60s. That may be when you're first told that you're a diabetic. Uh, uh, or you may have been told that you're pre-diabetic, meaning that your HbA1c, that's the blood test that measures your blood glucose level, is high, but it's not in the diabetic range. And so that's an important stage um, um, when you're initially diagnosed as a diabetic. The second important stage of your diabetes is when uh, you develop a complication of the diabetes. Uh, you develop uh, eyesight problems or eye pain uh, or, or some other complication associated with diabetes. The third important step uh, is uh, when you're on your medication uh, and as you're getting your regular blood tests, uh, however your physician has prescribed it, she tells you that uh, for some reason your HbA1c is increasing in spite of the fact that you're on medication and doing different things. And the fourth stage of your diabetes management and self-management and education is when you become older. And my definition of older is when you become 60 plus. Because we know that what happens is that there's some things that just occur to us as we get older. It's just like any other system that over time becomes less and less efficient. Uh, and many times that combines with the diabetes uh, that um, we may have and creates other additional problems. Well, let's specifically talk about the myths of diabetes. The first myth is diabetics can eat sugar. That is not true. You can eat sugar if you're a diabetic. Now, you want to have it in moderate proportions, but this whole idea that uh, grandpa can't eat a piece of candy or a donut or whatever is just hogwash. You can eat sugar if you are a diabetic. Second myth is diabetes is caused mainly by obesity. 
huge myth. Wrong, 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 wrong. Not true. Uh, and as we have said earlier, there are some patients who become diabetic not because they're obese or overweight. They become diabetic because it was passed down to them in their genes. Okay? So obesity can be a contributing factor to diabetes, just like stress can be a contributing factor to diabetes or um Poor exercise can be a contributing factor to diabetes, uh, and uh, genetics or genes can cause diabetes. Another myth is that you're too skinny to be a diabetic. Not true. Again, as we've said before, you can be skinny and still develop adult-onset diabetes because maybe you're diabetic because you inherited it, from your parents and grandparents and, and uh, the parts of your family tree. Or there may be other factors. But my point is, this whole idea, and if there's anything you remember from this, this discussion today, is that obesity is not the main cause of diabetes. Uh, it is not the only cause related to diabetes. It is a contributing cause of diabetes, like three or four other things. Another myth is you're too young to have diabetes. You can be, you can have diabetes at an early age. And I'm talking about you can have type 1 diabetes, uh, which you're born with. We didn't, this discussion is not primarily on type 1 diabetes, but the difference just uh, very quickly is the type 1 diabetic patients do not have insulin. So they have to take insulin from the time of birth. Okay. But most of for our purposes today, we're talking about adult onset. Uh, diabetes. Another another myth is it's possible to just have a little diabetes or a touch of diabetes. That is not true. Either you're diabetic or you're not diabetic. It's like being pregnant. Either you're pregnant or you're not pregnant. You can't be a little pregnant or just have a touch of presence, pregnant, pregnancy. Diabetes is exactly the same. Either you have it or you don't. Now, to avoid confusion, there may be some physicians who've used the term pre-diabetic. And again, that's where your HbA1c is increasing, but it is not yet in the range of being diagnosed as diabetes. And a number of physicians will many times try to help patients, will try to intervene with patients at that time to start doing some things that may very well help them um, to mitigate uh, the whole possibility of diabetes. And again, these are the ones where it's not uh, genetically inherited, or maybe the majority who are not genetically inherited. Okay. One of the other areas that's important to mention before we finish is that you can have remission of your diabetes. And I define remission is where, where, where your HbA1c is, say, 6.5 or 6.8 or 7, uh, and some things are done. <laughs> And those things that are done can help you to lower your HbA1c. That is possible. And in the more extreme case, in these individuals who are morbidly obese and who've elected to have um, uh, um, gastric bypass surgery or some type of surgical procedure to mitigate uh, their uh, morbid obesity, uh, some studies have shown that many times they have been able to have their HbA1c blood tests lowered 
uh, the range of the HbA1c lowered uh, into the non-diabetic range. The diabetes doesn't go away, but we just like to say it's dormant uh, in terms of the negative effects or damage it can do to the, to the body. But my point is that's good news because there, there, is, there is hope. That is it, that by doing some of the right things or having some things happen, um, the serious problems can be mitigated in some patients. Diabetes, among other um, types of problems, uh, is probably one of the most expensive forms of health care or, or, or problems medically that you can have in the country because it spreads. It involves so many other organs and so many other organ systems. Uh, because blood sugar goes all over the body and it's used by all different parts of the body. So whenever there's a problem with the initial source of the diabetes, it can then affect those other organs that we've talked about, blindness, uh, heart disease, stroke, et cetera, et cetera. So in summary, diabetes is a chronic condition, and we physicians do not understand 100% the pathology of it. However, we do know that there are many causes of diabetes. Um, uh, obesity is a contributing factor of diabetes, and we do know that diabetes can be inherited. Also, that things that we've used 40, 50 years ago to evaluate patients with diabetes or obesity or other types of problem, many of those things are no longer appropriate in the 2023 area. And so we have to continue to stay abreast of the most recent developments in terms of what's best for our patients. Also, we learned that there are a number of myths about diabetes, like diabetics can't eat sugar, which is a myth, like skinny people don't get diabetes, which is a myth, like obesity is the main cause of diabetes, which is a myth. And finally, what we've learned is that diabetes can go into remission in some patients. Uh, and I've met these patients recently um, uh, in my own experience. Um, so it's an important um, problem. It's an important issue. And again, we believe knowledge is power, that the more you know, uh, the more you are able to take care of your health and to take care of the health of those around you uh, uh, and, and the ones that you care about. My basic principles, God is in charge. I am a physician of faith, and I believe very strongly that God uh, has been uh, the main reason why my life has been as well as it has uh, and why I'm happy and healthy and wise. Um, I don't have any bad days. Uh, I decided many years ago that I'd had enough bad days. Um, so uh, I decided that my days would either be good days or great days. So I have no, no more bad days. I suggest to you that uh, if I can eliminate my bad days, you can eliminate your bad days also. Number three, basic principle. Don't sweat the small stuff, and most stuff is small. I have learned that most times when things happen, that they are really not that big a deal or not as big a deal as I think they are. Uh, so I have learned to put things in perspective more and to go more slowly at getting upset and, and, and angry about a situation. Next basic principle, forgiveness is therapy. That when someone does something to you um, that you could perceive to be negative, forgive them immediately. 
does not matter who's right or wrong. Just by forgiving them, you yourself will be empowered. Uh, and more importantly, you let it go. And it does not cause inordinate amount of stress on you and things that you have to deal with. And my final basic principle is that everything is a relationship and relationships are based on mutual respect, mutual trust and good communication. If you have those three things, you have a good relationship, whether it's husband and wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, parent, child, uh, working relationship, brother, sister. Uh, it's important in terms of uh, minimizing stress in our lives. And the last words that I want to leave with you, be the change you want to see in the world. Be the change you want to see in the world. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to the Healthy, Wealthy and Wise podcast with Dr. William Choctaw, MD, JD. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you found it helpful, you can support and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform with the keywords, Dr. William Choctaw. Click on the support the show and you've got it. This will also help ensure that you don't miss any future episodes. And then share this podcast with your family, friends, and or your co-workers. They'll be glad you did. So until the next time, live your best possible life the best possible way.